<laughs> hey, really glad that you're here today. Uh, if this is your first Sunday here, my name is Mike. I'm the lead pastor at MCC. And parents, if you are here for the first time because you trusted us with your kids this week, thank you for that. And I hope they had a blast. We sure had fun with them here. Uh, and bowling yesterday, uh, we filled the lanes. And man, it was just so much fun. So, and if you're watching online, thanks for joining us there. I hope you're also following us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Uh, so a couple weeks ago, we began a look. We'll catch everybody up here. We began a look at the book of Psalms uh, in a series called Summer Playlist because, and I told you this a few weeks ago, uh, and so I want to remind you if you've already heard this once, just want to remind you, and if you've never heard it, want to make sure we're all on the same page uh, together. But the book of Psalms, when you think about the book of Psalms in your Bible, it's actually a collection of 150 ancient Hebrew poems, songs, and prayers that come from all different periods of the Israelite history. So that already makes it, I didn't know if you knew that about the book of Psalms or not, already makes it different than any other book in the Bible. But these poems and songs and prayers were written over uh, a time period of 900 to 1,000 years. So it's the longest writing project in the Bible as well, in case you, you didn't know that, I, just from all kinds of times. So for the last couple of weeks, I've also been asking you what music style you have on your current playlist. So I'm going to tell you what we learned. And if you are here this morning, and you, if, whether it's a playlist or you just listen to this style on the radio, in the car, whatever, if you would raise your hand. The overwhelming, oh, no, I'm sorry, it was tied. There were two at the top. Contemporary Christian music. How many of you listen to contemporary Christian music? You know, I don't know why that surprised me in the church. We're asking the church what they listen to. <laughs> Caught me off guard. Classic rock. Tied it, though. Classic rockers. Rockheads. Nice. Okay. Uh, country, which we will all hear in heaven. And, uh, <laughs> and then tied down the line were uh, gospel Somebody said they listen to rock, uh, rock, rap, and pop when they work out. I, that's usually the sound I make when I work out. Uh, <laughs> Motown, pop, normal rock, classic music. The last category, somebody said their playlist is talk radio. Somebody misunderstands what playlists are. Uh, I'm just saying. <laughs> Here's what we know. The reason we're talking about this is we know that music uh, has power. Movie soundtracks have proven to us that music has the ability to move us when we watch what's going on the screen. But even in our own lives, it has the ability to lift our spirits. Uh, sometimes it helps us dance uh, or help us to focus on what we're doing. So today we're going to look at Psalm 46. If you have your Bible with you, you may want to open up to that. Uh, and there's a handout that has notes that you can follow if you find those helpful. Uh, or if they're for nothing else, you can watch to see when I'm almost done, which is quite frankly what I do sometimes. Uh, but uh, if you have the Version Bible app on your phone, you can find all of our verses there as well as the blanks already filled in on those notes. Hope you'll join us there. So do you remember the old hymn, the, uh, uh, A Mighty Fortress is Our God? How many of you remember that? All right, yeah. This psalm is where uh, Martin Luther, this is the basis for that hymn. So if you look at your Bible uh, and it says Psalm 46 was included as a song in worship, they would sing this psalm in worship uh, in the temple. So uh, get ready because we're all going to sing this psalm out loud together. Just teasing. Uh, we're not doing that. Uh, if you're a first time guest, I'm really sorry if that caused any palpitations. But let's look at the first verse here. Let's do read this all together out loud, okay? You ready? 
God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Man, verse 1 is a great verse to memorize. And this word that we translate trouble, it means someone uh, who is caught in a corner and unable to get out or they're in a tight place and they're unable to get out of it. So when you're in a tight place or you're stuck in a corner and you can't get out, it is our, it's, it's for us to remember that God is an ever-present help. So right out of the chute, verse 1, this is what we're told. It's also the last verse of this song. It'd be the last thing they sang. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So here's the bottom line, literally. This is literally the bottom line of the song. God is a dependable refuge for his people when everything around me seems to be falling apart. And you heard Jillian talk about that a moment ago. But I want to make sure you get this. So this, this is on your notes. And I want you to know that this, listen, this has to be true for you before everything starts falling apart. If you want to remember that it's true when everything is falling apart. This psalm starts and ends with this because this is where everything begins and ends for those of us who follow Jesus. That God is our fortress. He is our help when things are going bad in life. A moment ago I said this is the longest writing project in the Bible. The first psalm that we have is Psalm 90. The first psalm that was written is Psalm 90, written by Moses. Psalm 46 is most likely written about the Assyrian attack on Jerusalem. And so it occurred about 700 years after Moses. Uh, in my time alone with God each day, I read a little bit of the Old Testament, a little bit of the New Testament, a little bit of the uh, Psalm, and a couple of uh, Proverbs. This was actually, kind of coincidentally, my reading uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, from the account in 2 Kings 18 and 19, which is what, where you find in the Bible what this psalm is referring to. At that time, the Babylonians ruled the world, but then the Assyrian army destroyed them. So the Assyrian army was the most powerful, dreaded military might in the world. And this psalm is referring to when it surrounded the city of Jerusalem to attack. As a matter of fact, Sennacherib's prism, uh, which uh, tells the story uh, uh, of the, uh, the Assyrian campaign against Judah, was discovered in the ruins of Nineveh at about in 1830. It's now stored in the Oriental Institute in Chicago. The text of this prism boasts how King Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, destroyed 46 of Judah's cities and trapped King Hezekiah in Jerusalem like a caged bird. And while Assyria did eventually capture and destroy Jerusalem, I just want to say that the first siege of Jerusalem did not go that way at all. But this is why, I just want you to understand why the psalmist is writing this. That's why in verse 2 we read this. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. I'm telling you that because I want to remind you this is a song. And, and when you read this, I just want you to understand, the earth is not literally giving away under their feet, right? The mountains are not literally falling into the heart of the sea. The waters are not literally roaring, and the mountains are not literally quaking. They're song lyrics. They're not literal, much like lyrics you might be familiar with. So when the Beatles sing in the song, I am the walrus, right? Are we all familiar with the Beatles? Maybe with this particular song. I just want to point out that when the Beatles sing, sang, I am the Eggman, they are the Eggmen, I am the Walrus, 
goo goo ga choo, right? I just want to be clear, they do not literally mean that they are actually an Eggman. They are not literally the Eggman, and they are not a walrus. I just want everyone to understand that, and I just want to be very clear. And literally, they're not beetles. That's a bug. They're not bugs. They're not saying that either. As a matter of fact, John Lennon said he didn't want it to make any sense at all. He said, what does it really mean? I am the Eggman. It's not that serious. He was trying to confuse people. And he may have been influenced by, you know, something else when he was writing uh, <coughs> the words of that song. But in Psalm 46, the words are reflecting the feeling of those inside Jerusalem. So let me tell you what's going on. According to 2 Kings 18, we find out that at this time, King Hezekiah uh, was the king of Israel. And here's what we're told about him. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. And he held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses. And I want you to know all of that because of what we're about to read, the very next words. And the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria, and he did not serve him. He had been king for 14 years when the, the Assyrians attacked. And the commander of the Assyrian army came right up to the city wall, and he called out in a language that everyone on the city wall would understand. Look at verse 27. He says, Was it only to your master and, and you that my master sent me to say these things, and not to the people sitting on the wall? who, like you, will have to eat their own excrement and drink their own urine. If you ever wonder where trash talking came from, here we go. This is the Old Testament form of it. It's pretty rough. Verse 28, then the commander stood and called out in Hebrew, hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you from my hand. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says, the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Verse 33, has the God of any nation ever delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Verse 35, how then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? I just want you to understand why the songwriter, Psalm 46, why the songwriter says what he does. They know the odds are against them. They know they do not have what it takes to beat the Assyrian army and it feels like the world is coming down around them and there it feels like there's nothing that they can do no one can help them not even god can do anything about it which begs this question does that feel familiar to anybody here in your life have you ever sensed that going on i don't know what it might currently be or maybe what is something you've been through or for some of us something that we're going to go through. But it feels like in your life, the bottom has fallen out. And you're at the end of your rope. And no one can help you. Not even God. And maybe it's been death, or divorce, or cancer, or addiction or financial crisis, and you are just, I mean, you can't even see clearly. Homel Maybe it's homelessness. Maybe it's this loss of this dream that you had for your life, and it's just there's no way it's ever going to happen. Maybe there's something going on in your life, maybe even, or especially if it's an adult child of yours, and you have done everything that you know, 
and you have begged God for help. And he seems silent. If you were here a year ago, uh, you most likely knew that I was away on sabbatical. And for those who don't know, I put in your notes because I want you to understand what a sabbatical is. A sabbatical is a leave that's carefully planned uh, at a time which the pastor is granted leave away from his or her, her normal responsibilities in order to spend an extended period of time in rest, renewal, and refreshment. So just, you know, it's, it's meant to be a time of spiritual uh, nourishment, uh, supposed to give us a change of perspective from what normally happens in our lives to deepen our relationship with God, ourselves, and our family. It's actually meant to be a time where we just stop doing everything that we normally do and just rest uh, for a while. Uh, last summer, I was gone about eight weeks on sabbatical, and most of you probably, if you were here a year ago, you didn't even know I was gone because the rest of our staff made it look so easy uh, that, that no one picked up on anything. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate our staff for affording me that time away. Not all of my friends have that, uh, and I'm so thankful, and I hope you appreciate our staff uh, and how well they do their jobs. What you can't possibly know is why I went on sabbatical and why Sandy was gone from her work for the same amount of time. So we were on sabbatical together. We had gone to a counselor because something was wrong and I didn't know what it was. And I just want you to know, our elders didn't know anything about it. Uh, uh, and Rich McKinley, uh, who is our executive pastor, who is a counselor, licensed counselor, who you can't get anything by him, he didn't know what was going on uh, either. Nobody knew because I didn't understand what was going on. And uh, so I didn't let anybody know, with the exception of Sandy. Uh, what was going on inside of me. Uh, we went to a counselor and I was diagnosed, uh, which is maybe too strong of a term, but what I was told was I was struggling uh, with compassion fatigue. It presents the same as burnout, you've probably heard of that, and it's caused by absorbing the trauma and emotional stress of other people. Uh, there's a certain amount of that which is normal in ministry. That's just, I mean, it's part of what we do, right? We help people through things. But there were some things that were happening behind the scenes which made it more than what's typical. Uh, in six years, Sandy and I had lost eight family members that we were very close to. We lost all four parents in four years, as well as my sister and a brother-in-law. And let's not know, I hope, I hope you hear that the way I'm trying to say it. I'm not suggesting our loss was worse than yours, that our family members somehow waited. That's not what I'm saying uh, at all. I know that it, there's a lot of loss there in everyone's life. But I think that what happened was instead of grieving, I took the role of pastor in all but one of those. My choice, I've done that for other people's families. I didn't know how I couldn't do it for my own family. Uh, beyond that, for the last 30 months of my mom and dad's lives, I was also their primary family caregiver. We spent a lot of days and nights rushing to and staying in the hospital, in the ER and in the hospital. And honestly, I just wasn't wise enough to slow my schedule down. I just didn't know to do that. So I just kept my normal schedule and going to the hospital uh, on top of that. So the week my mom died, as I was preparing for her service, there was a day I couldn't get out of bed. I wasn't sick. I just couldn't move. Uh, I figured I was just tired. And then immediately after the service, I, I lost my voice. And now looking back, what I understand is my body was trying to tell me something. I just wasn't understanding what it was saying to me. It happened a few more times before my dad passed, and then again after he passed. And I should have gone to the doctor. Now I know I should have gone to the doctor, but I didn't put two and two together. Uh, like too many of us in the room, I had way too much going on, so I just pushed through. 
My dad passed in November, and then Christmas hit, and you know how Christmas is. Uh, you just do that. But I'll tell you, when Christmas was over, <laughs> I hit a wall, and I did not want to come to the office. And, uh, and really, the only thing I enjoyed was preaching. Everything else I just kind of made myself do. And I knew something was wrong because I love the people I work with, and I did not want to be around them. And I love the leadership of our church, and I honestly didn't want to see them. And I love our church, but I began to avoid you in Kroger, <laughs> which is really weird because usually when I see someone in Kroger, this annoys Sandy to no end. I mean, I will go out of my way, and I just love to catch up and what's going on, and sometimes I'll move your cart away while you're not looking and do silly things like that. But I, I saw you in, in the grocery store. And I hid from you. I'm telling you that because I want you to understand that in verse 2, when we read that the earth is giving way, it feels like you're, you, you get, the earth is giving way under your feet and the mountains are falling into the heart of the sea and the water is roaring and the mountains are quaking uh, with their surging. I know what that feels like. I understand what those words mean. I know what it feels like to be at the end of your rope and it's like no one can help you. Not even God. And it's lonely and it's dark. And it's what the people in Jerusalem were feeling because the Assyrians had surrounded the city. And nobody could help them. So in, in, the, in our psalm, verse 10, God's response is this. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all of the earth, and part of the answer when this happens, uh, you need to understand, so it's on your notes, I want to make sure it includes the idea, what we're reading in verse 10, includes the idea of slowing down every day to remember that God is God. And for some of us in the room, this may be the next step in your faith, because quite frankly, you don't do this. You don't stop every day and just remember who God is in your life and who he wants to be. I wonder how many of our days start at 100 miles an hour and you have so many things to do, you have so much on your mind that sometimes you don't even sit down to eat breakfast unless you're sitting down in your car on your way to wherever you're going. And that's if you eat breakfast that day. When I wake up, my mind can be moving 100 miles an hour in 100 different directions. And if I'm not careful, my thought can be if I just get started early enough and I just keep moving fast enough, I can accomplish everything I need to get done. And quite frankly, I will run right past God on my way to getting it done. C.S. Lewis said this. It's on your notes. It comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back, in listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. So in verse 10, when God says, before you do anything else, quite frankly, before you can do anything of significance, it begins with remembering who I am. And so in my prayer journal, above where I've written this verse, because this verse has been in my prayer journal for the last couple of years now, uh, I have written, for me to be who I need to be for your kingdom today, I need to be still and know that you are God. And I've said this before, but that has absolutely nothing to do with me being a church leader. That has everything to do with me being a Jesus follower. But I know that for me, 
to be able to live a life worthy of the calling that God has for me as a follower of his son and for you as a follower, it means I have to be still and know that he is God. If I stand any chance of being able to love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and my neighbor as myself, it begins with remembering who God is. If, I, if there's any way I'm ever going to overcome evil with good because it's not my natural inclination, if there's any opportunity that I'm going to become more like Jesus, if there's any way in the world I could ever hope to love Sandy the way Jesus loves the church the way she deserves to be loved. If I have any hope of doing any of those things, it all starts, I know that it all starts with being still and remembering who is who in this relationship in my life. But verse 10, I need you to understand, it's, it includes that idea, but that's not the primary focus of that verse. The primary idea is that the battle doesn't belong to you. Doesn't, it belongs to God. The literal wording we translate, be still, means to bear your arms. It, it means to... Put them to your side. Literally, it means to let go. That's the, I shouldn't say literally, that's the idea. And it doesn't mean, just to be clear, it doesn't mean that you sit on the sofa and do nothing. But what it does mean is that whatever you're fighting right now, whatever you're battling, it's not up to you to win that battle. That's not your battle. That's not your war. Remember who God is. The fight belongs to him. You may be, in some cases, uh, you may be supposed to pick up a sword, but when you do that, when you pick up your sword, remember who it is that the battle belongs to. Remember who God is, which, by the way, may be your next step in your faith. So moment of authenticity during my sabbatical, because it's not in my nature to sit down and to be still or to not fight. Honestly, I didn't sit down. I didn't sit still. I, I, and I'm, I was fighting against rest. Part of my sabbatical, what I was supposed to do, what was prescribed for me, was to do nothing uh, and to have no contact. I don't know if you know this or not. I was to have no contact with the office during that time. And so when I called my assistant, Miriam, uh, she said, uh, uh, I don't think you're supposed to be working. <laughs> I don't, how do you say that, you know, to your boss? And so she very kindly said, I don't think you're supposed to be working, which was, quite frankly, annoying. Um, and, um, and so I tried to stop by the office. And I'm assuming people were coached because I was told the same thing by everyone I saw. Aren't you supposed to be resting? You're, I don't think you're supposed to be here. For two weeks I did that. I can't tell you how. I just started coming when no one was here because it was really annoying to keep hearing that. I kept trying to work. I just got more covert about doing it. Sandy didn't always know where I was going when I left the house because I knew I'd hear from her too and I didn't want to hear it. And after two weeks it dawned on me. I was fighting against what God wanted for me. And so I finally did what Hezekiah is about to do, what King Hezekiah does. Remember, the Assyrian army has Jerusalem surrounded. Uh, you have to come to the same conclusion, by the way, when you feel helpless, when you are helpless as well. So Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and, and, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words of Sennacherib ha, that he sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord. He's, he's not lying. He's not making this up. It, it's true that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to these nations and lands. They really have done that. And they have really thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. But it's because they weren't gods. They were only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. 
So Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, uh, are God. And it's interesting what God does. Remember, be still and know that I'm God. When you do that, look at what he did. Verse 35, that night the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. Everyone else is asleep, including Israel. And when the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. In essence, change of battle plans, guys. We're going to go home for a minute. Uh, and it's because, verse 11, in our song, it's that last line the Israelites would sing when they sang this song. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And I just want to remind you, your, the army is not your fortress. That's what Israel thought. The army is our fortress. Our fortress isn't made of stone. It's not the wall around Jerusalem. Our fortress isn't made of stone. Our fortress isn't made of our career or our finances or the power that we have because of our position or the relationships that we have or the popularity that we enjoy. It's not any of those things. God is our fortress. God is who it is that protects us. But look at this at the bottom of your notes. Please, I want you to understand this. God doesn't protect us to pamper us. He shelters us so he can strengthen us to go back to life with its duties and dangers. I can only tell you this about last year. They were the darkest days of my life. I did not know what was going to happen. It was terrifying. And my guess is some in this room understand that feeling. Today, you already feel that feeling. And I will tell you what I've told people that I've talked to about this. It seems so odd to me to talk about it this way now because where I am in my life feels like a hundred years from when that happened. And he will do that for you. He will take you from the darkest of your days to a place where it's a bad memory and you don't want it for anyone. But to do that, we have to be still and remember who is God. And so every week we stop to do that. We stop in our service to be still and to remember that he is God and that he loves us and that Jesus went to the cross because he's for us and not against us. He's for us, not against us. And so in a moment, we're going to take a cracker and it reminds us of the body of Jesus and there'll be a cup of juice that reminds us of the blood of Jesus given to us, given for us on the cross so that we'll remember is who because that wasn't our battle to win that was his battle to win on our behalf just like he fights for you today and so we stop in our service because if God is going to be exalted among the nations if God is going to be exalted in all of the earth it begins by God being exalted in our lives as individuals and in this community as a church God to be exalted here. So while we pray, God, we do bring you this moment. And we just want to stop and remember. Remember what Jesus did on the cross on our behalf. Remember who you are. That the battle uh, for our souls is not one that fight. We can't fight. We can't win. The enemy is too big for us. But we know what it's like to be at the end of our rope and to feel like no one can help and to wonder if you're going to. 
there are some of us in the room who remember that or are experiencing that. And this moment calls us back. It calls us to remember how much you love us and how much you have already done to remind us of how much you will do. And so God, it's our my prayer for us as your people this morning that we will bring what it is that is heaviest on our shoulders and on our hearts and our minds right now. What may seem like the darkest moments of life and we don't know if we'll ever see the light again. And God, we bring those to you. Not because you magically dissipate everything all at one time, although you can. But for us to remember Son Jesus, who gave his life for ours.